Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled Discouragement and Assurance. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 to 6, verse 27, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. In some ways, I, I wish that Exodus chapter 6 wasn't in our Bible. It's kind of embarrassing, not for myself, for Moses. See, at the end of chapter 6, we may find that it's hard to admire Moses, his lack of faith, his whining and complaining spirit, his willingness to go back over the same ground that should have been answered for him before. It portrays in him a very bad light. But when I find myself embarrassed by Moses, I like to remind myself that the author of this chapter, well, it's none other than Moses himself. And then I have to remember that there's something very different about the Bible and the way the Bible portrays its principal characters than any other book. Whether it's David committing adultery and then going to great lengths to cover it up, or whether it's Elijah hiding in a cave, complaining terribly, or whether it's Peter paralyzed by fear and denying that he had ever met or known Jesus, the Bible's portrait of its heroes is unblinking and it's refreshingly honest. And so when I sometimes wish Exodus 6 wasn't, you know, in my Bible, and yet I'm encouraged that it is there. God not only was gracious to Moses as he continued to, you know, wallow in the pit of despair, I'm reminded that God will also be gracious to me when I should have spiritually grown enough not to allow my heart back to those old familiar patterns of unbelief. And you, my dear hearer, I mean, you should also be encouraged by what you find in this chapter. God had called Moses to a noble task, and yet he's deeply discouraged, and he wished that the call had never come to him. And today, if you identify with Moses, perhaps you can see beyond Moses' discouragement and see through to a God who's not only patient with you, but who encourages you with his word. His calling on your life is not about to end because you have become depressed and dejected and disheartened. Take hope then as you study today's text. Now, we begin our study today by going back to the end of chapter 5. Pharaoh has placed an impossible mandate on the Israelite slaves. They're, they're supposed to produce the same quota of mud bricks, but they're not going to receive any straw. They're, they're going to have to find and gather their own straw, and if the production level goes down, they're going to be beaten. And the foremen are furious with Moses. That's poor leadership on your part, they say. Had you handled the demands you were going to make to Pharaoh in a more diplomatic way, we wouldn't be suffering. You there saying and pointing their finger at him, you've made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. Now to Exodus 5, 22 to 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. So two complaints. First, you God told me what to say to Pharaoh. And you knew the reaction he would have. And so how can I come to any other conclusion than that you, God, are responsible for this evil situation? Well, Moses isn't even done with that. Second, you've not delivered your people at all. That is to say, you made a promise that you would deliver on the promise you've made. Now you stand idly by and you watch. Of course, Moses is ignoring the bigger picture. You know, he could just as easily have said, God, I know that you will deliver on your promise that you've made, and now I stand at expectation. Look, he doesn't say that, however, does he? Nor does this mark his attitude. You know, he's in despair. People are criticizing him, and in his desperation, he wants to criticize God. 
So God responds, and fascinatingly enough, he doesn't respond with a rebuke. You know, God knows that his chosen instrument is in despair, and he reaches out to rebuild his faith. Exodus 6 verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And notice the first word that God gives Moses. That's the word now. I mean, think of that word now as saying, this is the right time. I have manipulated Pharaoh into this position so that he would respond exactly as he is responding. And so now is the perfect, or now is the right time to show my saving power. You know, it's a fact that we don't appreciate the light until we've lived in a period of darkness for some time. We don't appreciate wealth until we've experienced poverty. We don't appreciate freedom until we've experienced bondage. There are times when God allows us to experience pain so that when the deliverance comes, it will look in our eyes to be what it truly is. Now, now just when you are as confused and as despondent as you can possibly be, when it seems like Pharaoh will drive a wedge between your leadership and the people of Israel, now is the time for me to act. I've been waiting for this moment. See, isn't it interesting? Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Yeah, dwelling in darkness for as long as it had. The world lived in darkness until the fullness of time came. Now. We need the eyes to see that. God could deliver you today, but he awaits for the proper time. He does it both for his glory and for your long-term good. Now. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, God makes it even more clear. With a strong hand, Pharaoh will drive you out. That means Pharaoh will insist on this. He'll not just let you leave. He's going to plead that you leave. He will insist. That might have seemed impossible both to Moses and to the foreman as well as to the slaves. And indeed, that's how it was supposed to feel so that in the time to come, they would look back on this situation and remember how desperate they were, how hopeless the situation had become, and how mighty their God always was now. Exodus 6, 2-5, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, before I go any further, I need to stop here because in contemporary scholarship, there's been a furor over this passage. So let's stop and consider what the controversy is all about. See, when God says that he is the Lord, notice that in your translation, the word Lord is written in all capitalized letters. That's the signal from our translators. They're translating the Hebrew word Yahweh, or the covenant name of God. And so what our passage has just said is that during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God revealed himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but he never revealed himself as Yahweh. And yet when we read through the book of Genesis, we find the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God, continuously being used. So an excellent example of that would be Genesis 15, 6-7. And he, that is Abram, believed Yahweh, And he counted it to him as righteousness, and he said to him, I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So I hope you can see. God did reveal himself as Yahweh to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and yet here in our Exodus passage says he hadn't. So what counts for that? The critics say, ah, well, here we have proof 
that the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus is simply an amalgamation, not of the writings of Moses, but of a number of different authors from a number of different documents, and then sometime somebody, an editor, put them all together and didn't bother to smooth out all the contradictions. Now, it takes a bit of faith to believe that the final form of our Bible is the work of lazy editors. I mention this because some of my listeners attend a church, or maybe you've attended a Bible college or a seminary that has taught that approach to scriptures, and Exodus chapter 6, 2 to 5 has been used as a proof for this point. So let me respond by giving you the long-held view of this passage. Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, I did not make myself known as Yahweh, is not saying that at this point in history, God is giving Israel a new name for himself. But it does say that the meaning of the name Yahweh had never been fully known in the past. That is to say, the significance of Yahweh had completely escaped the forefathers. It's not that God is saying, look, this is cool, I got a new name. Rather, he's saying, the significance of my name has never been known. But now, who I am as God is about to be made known in a way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had no idea. Yeah, the people of Israel were about to see and witness that which Yahweh meant. I am the God who saves. It was scholar Peter Enns, although there are some problems with his work, but he does, I think, state it rightly here. He says that there is a distinction between the age of Moses and the age of the patriarchs. It's not that Moses had a different God than Abraham had. Clearly, they worshiped the very same God. But now, God revealed something new about himself. In the past, Bible teachers have called this progressive revelation. It means over the ages, God reveals progressively more and more and more of himself. This is the point here. Were it not for Pharaoh's extreme reaction to Moses' call to release Israel so that they might go and worship, Had that not happened, Israel would not have known that their God is also their Savior. They would never have known that something that had been hidden in the past would be revealed to them in this difficulty. It's that time of year again for the release of our annual Back to the Bible Canada 2023 Scripture Calendar. This year's theme is Freedom in Christ, to commemorate the gift of liberty that God has graced us with through Jesus. Each month, you'll find stunning visuals, a Bible verse reflecting on freedom, and encouragement from Dr. John Newfeld to live freely. It also contains a guide to help you read through the Bible in its entirety in one year. It's our hope that this resource will serve as a tool to help you engage with God's Word daily as well as to encourage you to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. The Freedom in Christ calendar is available free for the month of October. But hurry, supplies are limited, so to request your copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Sometimes it's in a crisis that finally and ultimately opens our eyes. We thought of God in only domestic terms. We we might have learned some truths about God and safely tucked those matters into a file folder in our computer brains, and there it stayed. But when a crisis comes and we're put at the point of despair, 
And in our predicament, God reveals himself. Suddenly we see his attributes and his character and his presence in a way that up until that crisis would have been impossible. So let's continue to read Exodus 6, verses 6 to 12. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, that is Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I wonder as I'm reading those words. Were you taken up in the verbs? Let me review them for just a moment. Verse 6, I will bring you. Verse 6 again, I will deliver you. Again, verse 6, I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you. I mean, all of those descriptions of what God will do, did you notice that it was God who would do it? He takes the action, and Israel would merely be recipients of the mighty work of God. But the key action is the word redeem. For that word is a word taken from the world of slavery. To redeem is to pay the price to purchase freedom for a slave. That's what the name Yahweh entails. You don't know his name until he's redeemed you. And if you're a Christian, that was the very first name you knew for God. Redeemer. He purchased you by the price of the blood of his son from slavery to sin and death and slavery to Satan, and slavery to the judgment to come. The price has been paid. You're set free. So we notice the actions of God, but notice also the promise that God makes. It's in verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And that means that all God's resources, the limitless resources he has as God, will now be used on behalf of the people of Israel. Notice verse 8. I will bring you to the land that I promised to your forefathers. You're not just being delivered or saved from slavery. You're brought to a land. See, way back in Exodus 3, verse 8, God says he'll bring them into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, the topography of the land is going to be such. It's going to be suitable for farming. And the fruitfulness of the land is going to be such that it will produce an abundant harvest so that there'll be more than enough to not only support you, but allow you to live and to prosper and to be a nation unto God. All of that takes us back to that word now, which we saw in chapter 6, verse 1. All these troubles, said God, were to bring you to this point. And furthermore, this is the appointed time for the events I have described. They're going to occur now. And we might then ask how that's going to happen, and God's not silent. See, the next thing that Moses is supposed to do is make a second appointment with Pharaoh. Pharaoh would no doubt have been interested in that second appointment. I mean, after all, he might well have expected Moses to come in pleading for mercy for the hard-pressed brickmakers. Perhaps Moses would come offering something, and that would give Pharaoh the opportunity to drive the final stake of division between Moses and Israel. And so Pharaoh might have imagined that would be the last gasp of a hopeless movement. He would have imagined he's going to win now. But Moses would have heard from God. 
And all that Moses was to do is to show up again, make the same demand. He's to say, let the people of Israel go out of this land. That's it. Do that. And when you do it, discover what the name Yahweh means. And you're going to remember that I began today's teaching by saying that this passage had elements that makes one feel embarrassed about Moses. And it's right here that we see it on full display. See, Moses now gives God three objections. Objection number one, the people of Israel have not listened to me. And behind this objection is the complaint that God had promised that Israel would listen to Moses. Now, even though they initially did, they're not doing it anymore. Moses is saying that promise isn't turning out. Objection number two, if Israel won't listen, there's no chance in the world that Pharaoh's going to listen. God, this will turn out probably worse than when I appeared the first time. And then comes objection number three, which Moses says, when God first called me on Mount Sinai and I told you, God, I was a bad public speaker and I'm ill-equipped to do this, ha, I was right. Oh, Moses, you're so embarrassing. You're allowing your feelings of discouragement to color everything you see. You've ignored the word now. And in a very practical way, you look like an unbeliever and a rebel. And at this point, we might expect our text to tell us what God says in response. But instead, look at this. Our text is suddenly interrupted by a genealogy of all things. And I'm almost afraid to read it because I think some of you, my dear listeners, when you hear a genealogy being read, you're just going to allow your eyes to glaze over. But don't, because this is vital. Exodus 6, 13 to 27. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hetzron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Livni, and Shemai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Itzhar, Hebron, Utzael, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Itzar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Utzael, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, the sister of Nashan, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph, these are the clans of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of their father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. See, at first, as we read this genealogy, it appeared to be like any other normal genealogy. It begins with the genealogy of Reuben, the oldest of Jacob's sons. Next, Simeon, he's the second oldest. Third, it moves logically to Levi, and then it never gets past Levi. The remainder of the genealogy is about Levi. Levi has three sons, and then just like so many of the genealogies, this genealogy is telescoped, moving past some 300 years, and it goes directly to Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses and Aaron. And then it moves into the future. 
Aaron will have four sons, and Eleazar will be the chief priest after Aaron, and then Eleazar will have a son, Phinehas, who's so passionate about God that he purifies Israel so that wrath doesn't fall on the camp. Indeed, when we get beyond the lives of Moses and Aaron and go to the lifetime of Joshua, we still see Phinehas involved, playing a crucial role to prevent a civil war back then between the eastern tribes who built an altar and the rest of Israel who saw it as an idolatrous altar. It's another story. But why is the genealogy here? Well, we're supposed to contrast Moses' unbelief and constant complaining in the present moment with the things that God had planned to do in the tribe of Levi, who were the tribe of priests, who are to help the people become the holy people of God. We're we're supposed to think about the plans of God that he has for Moses and Aaron and for Aaron's descendants. And isn't that the point of our lives as well? How frequently we slip into despair, never able to take our eyes off of our present distress. We do that while we ignore the promises of God. We ignore the name of God. We ignore the plans that God has for us. We're not filled with faith. We're filled with discouragement. We give reason after reason why we should continue to be discouraged. Nothing we say can ever change this situation. And when we say that, we forget the promises that God has made to us in Christ. We were united with Christ. That means as Christ was raised from the dead, so we will be raised with him. And furthermore, we will reign with him forever and ever. (laughs) We say, what about my present discouragement? And we add, you've not delivered me at all. Well, now. If Moses said that, please remember, that's not the final word. It must not be your final word either. Put your hope in God. Thanks for your message, John. Let me ask you, is it possible to have faith and yet struggle with doubts? Well, it must be because because I do. And I think you do as well, Ben. Um, You know, and I think every single believer has. Um, I think it's important for us to repeat these words. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And so uh, I know that we sometimes go backwards and forwards. I just come to this conclusion that, that God and his promises are greater than my discouragement and all of the other things that you know my emotions feed me. Uh, I recognize that I trust in God and not in my, in my fickleness. So yes, there can be discouragement and faith. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The Back to the Bible Canada Israel Experience is a trip like no other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said, listening to Pastor John teach the Bible, while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may have actually happened, puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023, and consider the optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. Join us in the Holy Land with on-location teaching from Dr. John Newfeld and wonderful evenings of entertainment with Laugh Again's Phil Calloway and very special musical guest, Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary, 
or registration forms, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.